It's all songs considered. I'm Bob Boylan. Today, a conversation with Electric Light Orchestra's Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn's been crafting classic rock songs for over 50 years. I first heard him as part of a beatly sounding British band called The Move. That creative outfit morphed into Electric Light Orchestra. That band mixed guitar, piano, and drum-based pop music with strings and synthesizers. It was a big band with a giant sound. The first ELO record was released exactly 48 years ago today, December 3rd, 1971. Nowadays, Jeff Lynne is ELO, and with the exception of a few helping hands, Jeff Lynne writes, records, arranges, sings, plays, everything on this record, and he loves doing it. We talk about his creative process, his work with his heroes, including Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, and George Harrison. Jeff Lynn was at NPR West. I was in Washington, D.C. I start the conversation by playing the lead-off track, in fact, the title track to his new album, From Out of Nowhere. I listen to this music in amazement and more amazed when I understood and learned that you, you're, you're doing just about everything there. Maybe there's a shaker in the song that you're not doing. That's uh, Anna Tambourine. <laughs> Anna, Anna Tambourine, thank you. Uh, so as a musician and many people out there in the world who don't understand how all this stuff is done, if you're playing everything, where do you even begin, Jeff? Well, you can't just begin. You have to do it all at once as soon as you think of it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um... But it really just starts with a click, basically, and then I just build it up from there. So people don't understand, everybody doesn't understand what a click is. So you have a, basically a metronome in your head, and I don't mean literally in your head, but yeah. though maybe there is one at this well, point in with the, all 50 years of doing this. But uh, So there's a rhythm. You start with something that goes Yeah, like I get a rhythm. I, I, well, I've actually made the, the chord pattern before I make a click, and when I've got the chord pattern down exactly as I want it like say for in instance um, the piece that we just heard yes uh, that that came to me so quickly from it was almost from out of nowhere so that's all it's <laughs> it kind of double whammy on that one because oh. it was one of my quickest ones I've ever done along with evil woman that was that was a, the, the other quickest one I ever did <laughs> so I uh, I'll lay that those chords down just roughly just so i know where i'm going and you're doing and, that uh, with guitar or, or keyboard i sometimes start with the uh on this well on this song i started with guitar but on other songs i i start with piano mm -hmm. this is just making it up mode you know so you're somewhere in bedroom studio uh, well i'm in my studio yeah in the control room usually mm -hmm. um so i can have all the sounds and things that i want 
com- you know coming into the into the room through the big speakers. I just take it from there and just keep adding chords. What I love is chord sequences uh, that are good and make me go, oh, <laughs> I love that. When it makes me go like that, I know there's something quite good about it. And in this song, was it one of those things? That'll do, yeah, that'll do then. <laughs> that, that makes me go, ooh, like that. Um, you know, it's, it's in a sense of, um, of that it's got, it, it jumps out at you and you can remember it and, um, and it's very melodic in that little moment. And does the uh, that part of it start to feed the lyrics, or when do the lyrics come in for you? Well, they start coming in around once once I got enough nice chord sequences that I like. That's when I, I start thinking about the words, and uh, those came pretty quick too. It's like it's a song that's kind of um, means to be optimistic, and um, and so it was just a, a, a different approach because I do a lot of uh, ones where. It's not always optimistic, but I'm doing a lot more optimistic ones nowadays. Although I'm going to say, well, for those who don't know the words on some of the words on this song, it's the opening track says, from out of nowhere I come, see you come rolling, I wonder how, uh, could it be real? I can't believe what you did when you showed up here, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but as I follow the pacing, and if I play the next song on the record, the record for me has this arc of like optimistic at the top, a lot of pessimism, losing someone, someone leaving someone, and then, uh, well, we could save the ending for the ending, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> can I play a bit of Help Yourself? Sure, that's one of my favorites. I thought I could turn things around and show you something that was not Not quite optimistic. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's still working on it, you know, like to teach you to think better thoughts. Take me a little further in the song, in, in, in what you're trying to say, uh, and help me here. <laughs> help well, myself. I think what I'm what I'm saying is really you gotta you've got to help yourself. You know, if nobody else will help you, you've got to help yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, that can mean. Lots of different things, which I won't bring up because you'll think that that's what I mean. Right. But it means in every kind of field, if you want to get it done, you've got to do it yourself, really, help yourself. Which isn't a negative thing at all. It's actually like a, a kick up the trousers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kick up the trousers right here. Here we go. <laughs> Can't fade it. Hang on. <laughs> but you can never change. You just keep on being you. You got to help you. It's really so beautiful. Thank you. You've been. 
I, I've been following you since the move, so you've been making music for an awfully long time, and well, even before that, Idol Race and so forth. And I uh, just, where do you think the style of music that you love so much comes from? What were you listening to as a kid? What was what, what <coughs> helped make you the songwriter you are? I think a, a lot of it was probably my dad's music that he, he used to play. He used to blast it out all the weekend. He'd, he'd have his classical stuff going. Classical, like, uh, vinyl records, you know. I used to get probably fed up with it at the time, but it really, a lot of those tunes and arrangements and, and big orchestras started to sink into my mind later on. For instance, um, I did an album called El Dorado, mm -hmm. which was the, uh, the fourth album, I think. And uh, I used a full, great big orchestra on it, you know, with, like, five double basses and eight cellos or whatever, or ten cellos, and about 25 violins, So, but no brass. So that's, that's how it led into, the, you know, to mix the two, the pop music and the classical stuff. But that was definitely a go at some classical stuff, just to try and impress my dad, I think. <laughs> it didn't, but not so worried. It really? Wow. <laughs> well, no, he thought it was, that's nice, though. He wasn't like dancing around or anything. <laughs> but he didn't say it was bad. He said it was good. Should I play a little bit of this overture from the top of the record? Oh, or right. something? It's not me talking, but uh, no. <laughs> Did you write the strings, though? Yeah, arrange them. Yeah, I, I can only write them on the piano, and then, and then, an actual arranger will come and write them onto the dots on the music, and then we'll, he'll play them all back for me. I haven't done this that procedure for so long. I, I've almost forgotten how we used to do it, and that's how it would happen. It, he played back for me and I would be able to say if it was right or wrong and then that's how it, we go in the studio and record all those people I haven't heard that in a long time that sounds great how, what, what, the process now, how, how is making music different in 2019 for you, different than it was in 1974, probably, when you made this record? Yeah, that was right. Uh, well, it's, it's completely different because we don't actually use any strings anymore. They used to treat us pretty badly in England, the, the union, the, the musicians' union. If they got like three bars left in a song, they'd just quit because the, the clock had just gone over the 12. <laughs> They'd quit during the take and then put the stuff away. Wow. So it wasn't much fun, that. So now it's, we've got all these wonderful digital keyboards. It's so much more free and much more fun because you can spend it as long as you like doing it. And play with it, right? Yeah, and alter the sound and, and, hear the sound. and do lots of different things to it. And other ways that, that making music is different for you in, in this? Well, all of it is really because... Uh, with Pro Tools and all the effects and all the new 
equipment that we've got now. It's like the difference between steam and you know rocket fuel. How about if I do this? I'm going to play something from a while back. It's not yours. Yep, that's it. Every time I look into your loving eyes, I see love that money just can't buy. One look from you, I drift away. I pray that you. remember hearing Roy as a kid. How old were you when you got turned on to that voice? Well, I remember exactly because I was 13 and I was sitting in the in the front room of my mum and dad's house and my mother and my auntie were sitting together talking and, and this came on, this song um, called Only the Lonely and it was Roy Orbison and I was transfixed and I was just like wow, it's, it's unbearably good. It, it's unbelievable. I was 13, so I didn't know how anything worked. I always wondered how they got these all these sounds, beautiful sounds together, and who did it, you know, which was the bloke that did that. <laughs> and um, that was what I wanted to be. And so the record finished, and it was marvellous, and I was still amazed by it. And uh, my mum and my auntie said, oh, he's horrible, he is. It, is too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I just want to think of, of a 16-year-old hearing this and thinking it's too sexy in the 21st century. Here we go. Well, I was 13. Uh, okay. Can I play a little bit, Roy? Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> take a break i'm talking with jeff lynn of yellow fame you're listening to all songs considered from npr music the following message comes from our sponsor jack daniels master distiller jeff arnett explains why jack daniels hometown of lynchburg tennessee is a vital part of their whiskey the people of lynchburg tennessee are 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 so committed they take great pride in it because if you ever come to lynchburg you'll get a very strong sense that whiskey making is the lifeblood of the community Uh, And it has been, you know, since the courthouse was built in the 1870s. To learn more about Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, go to jackdaniels.com. Please drink responsibly. Support also comes from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.org join to take the next step today. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, The Pitchfork Review. It's the podcast for the music-obsessed, the music-curious, and everyone in between. Join host Pooja Patel, Pitchfork's editor-in-chief, and her team as they bring you in-depth analysis, explore new music, revisit old classics, and report on the latest industry news. Listen to The Pitchfork Review and hear music differently. Find new episodes every Friday at midnight. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. We continue our conversation with Jeff Lynne of ELO. Some of the music Jeff Lynne's father would play around the house on the family radiogram included show tunes. The music of Rodgers and Hammerstein is some of the music he remembers. I used to like them, except that all the arrangements were a bit too fiddly for my taste. Too many uh, clarinets and flutes and stuff. Any of them in particular? I actually made a, an album called Longwave, mm-hmm. and I recorded a few of them myself. When I'd finally worked out what the chords were, all I had to do was shut out out of my ears, don't listen to them, the, the flutes and the clarinets and whatever else was was going up and down you know, really quick. And I finally learnt the chords to them, and once I got the chords, I found out how simple they really were, the songs. It was a marvellous revelation to me, because I'd always thought they were like, impossible to play for me you know but I was a lot older by the time I'd I'd started trying to play them and I actually got them and I got the chords and I got them all spot on I I checked them all and it was a beautiful thing to be able to play that piece that my dad loved so much and actually make a a new version of it just with me doing it all but he'd, he'd passed on by then Was there a song in particular that when you hear something on this record, did something on this record you think most of your dad? On Longwave, yeah. Uh, I think If I Loved You, the Roger and Hammerstein one, because uh, it was such a nice, um, just such a great tune, and the, the way the cellos climb through the chords. I bet if we listen to a bit. Okay. You know, the influence, I I'm, keep going back to the quote-unquote process to making this stuff and so forth, and wondering, what is the time period it takes you to make a song, let's say, I'll start with a little bit of Down Came the Rain. From inception to playing every single thing to the mix that you love, are we talking a, a month, a week, a year? Uh, <laughs> it depends on the song, you know, obviously. Let's they're, pick they're all one, different. let's pick this one. And, do you remember? Okay, yeah, vaguely. Okay. Um, didn't take very long, really, at all. That's not a 12-string guitar either, believe it or not. That's, that's two six-strings, one, one an octave above the other. So it's two separate guitars making nice. that noise. Um, it took probably a few days to finish writing the chords and uh, working out the bass and all that, and I'd just lay it down. And then I'd have to work on other instruments that are on there, like the keyboards, piano, 
um, lead guitar, rhythm guitar, background harmonies, and uh, they, that, I could do all that in a day, really, if, if, I, if I had to. But it would take me probably two or three days because I'd probably keep having cups of tea in between. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they've got a steep three, four, how many minutes? Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to a little bit in the clear here. I always think that the stuff that influences us the most is stuff that happens right around the time of puberty or, or our, certainly our youth. And, and so there's so much for me in that that is 1960s and, and, yeah, 1960s, I'll say. Though it's not, it's not nostalgic music. I want to no. make clear uh, yeah. that. Yeah, no, I agree. But, uh, of course, all, I think you're absolutely right that the, all your main influences come from that. 13 year old kind of brain <laughs> yeah so you've managed you're one of these rare people who have managed to play music with the people that you loved to listen to yeah that's that's really is a lucky thing to be able to do because I loved every minute of it all, working with all my heroes that's what I intended to do when I disbanded ELO in the first place about 1986 or 5 I wanted to be a producer and of other people and especially if they were great people and luckily enough George Harrison was looking for a producer at that moment in time he invited me over and we got on great one of the first things he asked me is do you want to go on holiday <laughs> and we hadn't even started yet. well we had just met really and uh, I think he, he got it that I was so keen to do this particular thing that I wouldn't um, you know I would never give, give up on it I just want to keep working so we went on a holiday and uh, into to Australia like you would and um, and then we came back and we got stuck in and made Cloud Nine which was his really it's a great album I think and I had so much fun making it and I was living at his house for about I don't know about nine months altogether <laughs> So it was fantastic time, and from then on, Tom stopped me on the street in Beverly Hills, and uh, Tom, Tom Petty, Petty yeah. yeah, he stopped me, and he kept saying, hey, Jeff, so I went over to park with him, and he, uh, so I just listened to George's album, and you've done a great job, do you fancy working with me? And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. So we did, we went in and wrote, uh, the first one we wrote together was actually free falling which is an amazing one to do first because it was so popular what did tom come to the table with when when he 
presented this song? How did this come come to be? Oh, remember? we didn't present it. We we co-wrote it. We just sat okay. down in two armchairs and wrote it together, holding guitars in each of your hands. Or how did, you remember? Well, just one hand, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running through the yard And I'm a bad boy You actually co-wrote words or how did the lyrics are the hardest thing to work with another person, I think. Did you find that? Yeah. The words part, I, I put in a couple of ands, uh, a but, I think, <laughs> and um, no, I think. <laughs> no, it's mostly the music that I that I co-write, you know, with him, well, with anybody. Words, I, I just help if they're struggling. I'll I'll help them and try and come up with a a thing. But Tommy's just brilliant at words, so uh, he never needed much help from me. Just a, like I say, just a few little ones. <laughs> what do you think you brought out of Tom that he might not have? come to and that that would be true of Roy Orbison too working with some of these people who you grew up on you knew who they were and you knew who you were at that point what do you think that you helped bring out of them that might not have happened I think for instance with Roy Orbison I think uh, I brought out of him what he really was you know I was the true fan and I was also probably his biggest fan I, I don't know I don't I'm sure there's I don't know how you measure fandom <laughs> But you know what I mean. But um, it's an app it's, for that, by the way. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, you know, just making him realize how great he was, and he was still, yeah, he still had the same voice, mm. and he still had the power that he had, and the the softness that he used to be able to. He could do any kind of royal business, and he could do it. And what do you think he brought out of you? He brought me a lot of pleasure, um, just to be hanging out with him and such a great guy really funny guy uh, which wasn't what you expected you know because I always thought he'd be, he'd be like maybe soft spoken because I saw interviews with him but he was such a, a funny guy and his laugh was so so infectious that he had this really high laugh and, and he was really full of gusto you are someone who's gotten to work with so many amazing people and yet you love to work alone those are two really different things when you work with someone and you feed off of one another and you bounce ideas around and you laugh with one another and then here you are in the studio working alone. No, I, I understand what you're saying, I think, but yeah. but the, I do have my engineer to bounce off. But, you know, it is my job, after all, to, to get it right, if I can, the producer's job, you know, and, and I'm the artist as well, and so I wear, like, about eight different hats in those sessions. But I love that because it's never a dull moment. Because once you've fixed one bit, you know, or once you've finished recording one bit, then you're on to the next bit. And then you've always got to keep trying to invent new ideas and making sounds that aren't particularly common, you know, or run-of-the-mill. Is that what you want from not just the music you make, but from the music you hear? Yeah, the sound of it is almost as important, I think, as the actual melody for me it is do you want to play a song that you're particularly proud of on this that uh, might fit the description of what we just did yeah I've got a nasty loud one called um, One More Time 
love the turn that song makes there. Uh, you made a good chunk of great rock and roll as well in the 70s. And, but I'm sorry, put it this way. But now you're being in your 70s. Did you ever imagine that you would make, uh, still be making music with that kind of beat, with that kind of intensity? Oh yeah, I, I'd forgotten that that I'm 71, nearly good. 72. <laughs> Until he just reminded me, I'm, I'm so going to pack it in. I'm going to pack it up now. <laughs> you still love doing this, I can tell. I love it, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing I love better. I just really, really enjoy it. It goes into your soul when you get the chords that you really want. You know. It's so great to know for people making music these days who might be much, much younger to know that there it is. It, it just won't leave you. That's right. Keep trying. Thank you. And thanks for the great record. Thank you very much. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Jeff Lynn, the new ELO record is called From Out of Nowhere. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. <laughs> <laughs>